Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. With me today, I am super excited. Um, I have with me a guest who is a costume designer, uh, teach RPG streamer, uh, YouTuber, and amazing cosplayer, um, and has done some fantastic work both in discussions on other shows and um, discussions on Twitter, as much as you can have a discussion on Twitter, uh, about a lot of uh, very important topics. So yeah, if you would like to introduce yourself. Hey, my name's Ezza. I go by Evil Clever Dog on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, etc. Uh, as Navar said, I'm a designer, cosplayer, TTRPG streamer, sometimes TTRPG podcaster, in particular with like the folks that Asians represent, which I think might be yeah. where you know me mm-hmm. from. Um, yeah. yeah, I do many things. I'm a millennial, one of those typical millennials who does like <laughs> 8 million things. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so many things to do, uh, for one. And two, um, it, you know, we're still in a pandemic, so our digital our digital uh brains require us to just get involved in all the things yeah um yep. but yeah <laughs> so yeah so where i always like to start is uh how did you get into nerd stuff in general so i grew up like watching all the you know x-men and batman animated series in the 90s um yeah so me and my brother were pretty big into like the comic book TV shows, um, mm-hmm. and then sometimes read comics as well. Um, but then I guess what probably crystallized it was when my cousin got me into Pokemon, and I literally remember him uh, coming over. He had like his Game Boy with the Pokemon game, and he had this massive poster that had like all the 150 original Pokemon on it. Um, yeah. And I just remember him like rolling that out on the floor and being like, okay. I'm going to educate you. (laughs) That's Bulbasaur, that's Charmander, that's Squirtle. And we just went through the whole thing and I was just like, oh, look at these funky little creatures. I love them so much. And he knew I'd be really into it because I was also like a animals and dinosaurs kid as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so yeah, he just knew I'd be totally into it. And then I was completely enamored and that got me into video games. And then I later started playing stuff like Final Fantasy and uh, Disgaea, Harvest Moon uh, and like, also like more into reading comics and watching like other shows, uh, mm. like superhero shows as like Justice League and Justice League Unlimited came out. That was pretty big. Yeah. Got into like stuff like Transformers, anime and manga as well for a while. Um, so yeah, it just sort of piqued my interest. Um, and then I ended up finding that I just really liked a lot of stuff that leaned towards sort of genre fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, post-apocalyptic stuff. Um, yeah. Like the older I got, just getting into like, more and more um kind of get, getting into like other sort of levels of it like as you age up and become mm-hmm. more interested in like more complex stories and stuff like that um but certainly have always uh found myself very drawn to like the nerdy stuff <laughs> yeah for sure no, that's awesome yeah i pokemon was such an interesting thing i can't even i have no idea how many pokemon there are out there in the world anymore because i oh, literally like after that first couple of years i just stopped paying attention and now it's. I still play you know, the games. I just don't remember numbers that are that high. <laughs> yeah, <frankly>. yeah. So 
<laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, but it's been it's been quite a while since that happened since it since it mm. premiered at least in the in uh, the the West, I should say. Um, speaking of which, where, if you don't mind my asking, where did you grow up? Uh, in London. I'm born and okay. raised Londoner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So for you, was a lot of that stuff stigmatized like in school and stuff like that? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, as I mentioned, like the whole getting into Pokemon thing, like that was right at the beginning of what would then become, you know, Pokemon as a phenomenon, as this mm-hmm. like worldwide huge media phenomenon. Yeah. Um, so in some ways it was like great because like every kid was into it in some level, in some way, even if it was just like a casual, I watch the show or yeah. I have some cards, they look cool. But like, it's, it's weird to think about now, like how, how absolutely wild everybody was for Pokemon. Yeah. Um, but of course that led to things like it being like the card game being banned in schools and stuff yep. like that. Um, so it was more, I guess in, in primary school, I was very much like a tomboy and very into like, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Beyblade, uh, video games, and hung out with the boys and stuff like that. And then um, went to secondary school and happened to go to an all-girls school, uh, which was quite different. I did find my <laughs> yeah. my nerds. That's and I'm not saying, of course, that girls aren't nerds. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But but also, it's you know people getting older and finding cliques and things like that, which I think isn't as much of a thing in primary school, or at least wasn't mm. at my primary school. It wasn't. Um, People didn't really like divide themselves up in that way. Yeah. And then when you go to secondary school, maybe as people are getting a little bit older, maybe that's where it more comes into practice. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so there were, you know, people who would like, you know, tease us for our like weird nerdy interests. But then there was also this like, this kind of like dual thing. I remember um, getting, I would of- often get caught drawing in class. <laughs> um, and, and frankly, after a certain point didn't really try to even hide it that much (laughs) Um, it was just like well my grades are fine so like (laughs) shrug I don't know I'm just I actually now know like being dyslexic and stuff I'm like oh that was actually probably like a way for me to like be able to better concentrate it was like something Mm. that helped me yeah Uh, but you know teachers don't necessarily (laughs) know that about you yeah especially Um, in the past but yeah that kind of I, I I literally remember like you know uh, you know a group of the girls who uh, could maybe have been called more of like the you know mean girl clique mm. kind of equivalent in in the UK which is not yeah, the term yeah. that we use um, but like what you might expect that to be mm-hmm. um, and I remember one someone like talking some shit about me and then one of the girls turned around being like no is is cool she draws in class and doesn't give a fuck about it <laughs> like don't talk shit about it and I was like oh, oh okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've won them over by doing literally nothing <laughs> yeah for sure yeah <laughs> that's funny yeah it is an interesting thing I mean and you know maybe you can elaborate on this on your end but like for myself I definitely had that experience of floating around in multiple different worlds I'm listening to the podcast know like I was a pretty vast minority in my school there was only like five other um black families where I grew up and so yeah I do remember that though of like going into high school that summer before and my brother who had went a year before me um was like yeah, like this is how it is. Like these are the kinds of people like, and they all split up into these different groups and stuff. And so it's like, we're learning these structures that if nobody told us anything, we probably wouldn't really care. 
but it's just like keeps repeating this cycle of like, yeah, these people sit here. These people sit here. Don't talk to these people. These people, if you hang out with them, you're not going to be cool. And it mm-hmm. really sort of messes with you as a kid. But for myself, like it was difficult because I also had interests everywhere. So, and I yeah. liked my friends. Like I wanted to just still spend time with my friends. So it was um, interesting. But I mean, like, did you kind of have that, like, I could do this thing, but also this thing sort of experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I relate to that a lot. Um, probably not the, the aspect, like I, I was not one of the few people of color at my school. I I was lucky. And part of that is living in London. And part of that was like the area that the school was in as well. Like the school was, was pretty diverse on like, there are lots of black students. There are lots of Muslim students. There are like stuff like that. Um, being mixed race was kind of its own thing, but like just, just a mixed race thing. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, uh, relate to that thing of like flitting between a lot of interests and, and maybe even having like multiple friendship groups for those mm-hmm. different interests. Yeah. Um, cause like I, so I had like the art thing going on, which is obviously related to how much I liked like comics and video games. Cause that was a lot of what inspired me to draw and stuff, yeah. but was also kind of its own thing. And then both of my parents, uh, used to work in theater. So there was like a drama kind of, um, background as well and an interest Mm -hmm. there um and when I was younger I kind of ended up dropping off of it a little bit but I was also very like sporty and athletic when I was a lot younger and like you know in primary school played football and basketball and and kind of that kind of like lessened once I got to secondary school I think that some part of like the cliqueiness maybe like makes us kind of enforce stuff like that on ourselves and I was like well I'm with the nerdy kids who just sit around reading manga so I don't go play basketball anymore which is ridiculous (laughs) and also I would have probably been a lot healthier if I'd gone and just played basketball but anyway yeah Yeah. um but yeah I I think everyone gets into like a level of awkwardness when they're a teenager like Mm -hmm. regardless you know even people who get perceived as being like the uber social butterfly popular kind of stereotype have their own like awkwardness growing pain stuff going on you know yeah so once you once i got past that i found that i was actually quite like an outgoing extroverted person and enjoyed being able to like flip between different interests and different friendship groups and stuff like that um and then I think that ended up being reflected in like the kind of career path I ended up taking where I went and studied uh, theater design. And so, you know, working in theater, which is an artistic career, but there's also like a lot of people in theater are very nerdy, yeah. but then there's also this aspect of it that's, you know, a little bit focused on like appearances and beauty and and stuff like that as well. And then there's like an intellectual artistic side to it too. Mm-hmm. It all kind of merges together. Um, so yeah, that kind of. I feel like that's kind of a convergence of a lot of those things. (laughs) Yeah. That's really cool. I think that's, uh, I mean, it it is, it is fascinating to like see how those things come together and it's good that you were able to find like a career path that could kind of attach itself to all of those, uh, specific things. Did you do a lot of like acting as well, or did you just prefer like the design side of things? Um, when I was younger, I did, um, enjoy acting a little bit. I, um, I kind of like phased out of that as I realized I was more into sort of drawing and painting and Mm -hmm. and stuff. And then I kind of came back into the interest in like theater and film through the design and art 
approach. Yeah. And, you know, part of that might have been, you know, me being like, well, my mum was an actress, so I don't want to be an actress. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, and, and also, you know, frankly, I think I would probably have a terrible time learning and memorizing lines. (laughs) Short term memory is like (laughs) one of my, my big dyslexic failings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I did enjoy it. And I, and I think that, you know, playing TTRPGs, which I got into quite late, but I think it does tap into part of that, like, love for sort of theater and 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 the far far back kind of enjoyment of performance and stuff like that um and you know i also used to play a lot of instruments and stuff so like my the school i went to was very like music and art oriented in a lot of ways so there were like lots of opportunities for kids to like learn instruments at the school and they would like form bands from kids at the school yeah um and there was like a school orchestra and stuff like that so i did that for a while as well and then just gradually kind of realized, like, actually, I think visual arts is more where I want to go. Um, but again, those things all feed into when you're working in, like, theater or film, um, having those other interests and, and other experiences from before, even if you don't still use them that often, it, it's all knowledge that you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's kind of transferable in that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And cosplay was part of that as well, definitely, because there's obviously, like, the making something sometimes designing something or doing your own spin on a design and then the sort of wearing of it, the modeling, the performance uh, kind of aspect of it as well. Yeah. Um, so it all converges. <laughs> so um, you, you got into cosplay quite young, right? Yeah. I was like, um, I, was, I went to my first convention when I was 13. Oh, wow. Um, I was baby. Um <laughs> I remember my mom being like, you you and your friend from school can go, but your cousin is going with you and he's going to keep an eye on you the entire time. And the moment we got there, he was like, you want to do your own thing, right? I was like, yep. And he was like, cool. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we hung out with him and his friends a little bit, but we just yeah. got to like run amok at uh, what was then called London Expo is now MCM London. Um, and like made a ton of friends and like saw cosplayers for the first time. Yeah. Um, and both of us were just kind of like, oh, that's a thing. That's really cool. Um, and, you know, we, 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 I had the experience of like uh, playing dress up and stuff as a kid, maybe taken to like a little bit more of an extreme than other kids usually do, because me <laughs> and my brother would like, you know, we had all the like superhero Disney costumes and stuff yeah. that we tortured our parents to like force them to buy for us. But then stuff like, uh, when the Star Wars prequels came out, we'd like paint each other's faces like Darth Maul and run around hitting each other with sticks and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I think it was just natural that <laughs> when, <laughs> when I discovered what cosplay was, I'd be like, oh, I'm doing this. And so yeah. the first time I cosplayed, I was probably 14 because that would have been the next time I went to that same convention. Um, and, you know, they were by no means good cosplays, <laughs> <laughs> but taught me a lot. and and sort of gradually built up to doing stuff that was more challenging and um, more intricate. And now that I think back on it, actually, I think I did do some stuff that was like surprisingly intricate for my early cosplays. Again, I don't look remembering them. I don't think they looked that good, but like I I would do a lot of stuff like going, Oh, I want to cosplay like a red mage from final fantasy, but I want to do my own version of a red mage. And so Mm. I was sort of at 15, like designing a costume without really knowing that that was what I was doing. Yeah. And then when I got into Transformers, I would, the first thing I did was rather than making like, you know, big robot suits, which I did 
I did do later. Um, <laughs> but first I would do like, you know, translating, say, Starscream's design into what he might look like as a human and, mm-hmm. and designing an outfit based on that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, not not like uncomplicated things. <laughs> yeah, right. No, that's super cool. I think it's it is always fascinating. I think especially like if you can foster that young. Mm. I remember like kind of an anal- like an analogy to this is like I similarly have always loved music and I remember one time I was listening to music and I was just like adapting the drum beat and adding more or taking parts out mm-hmm. and my stepmom was like oh, like that's super interesting that you can do that because like I don't think a lot of people can like pick apart the the beat, for instance, in that way. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's it's cool when you look, you look at something and go, okay, here's the rules. Now let's take this apart and make it into something else. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I think that makes it super fascinating. And and it and it's very unique too, I think, which is is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's really cool. What was the first character you cosplayed? Oh god, embarrassing. It was from Naruto. Um, <laughs> nice. I always forget the character's name because I'm not like super into anime anymore. And I've kind of yeah. I think the name I think their name is Haku. And they're like they have like long dark hair and like a green and white robe. They hang out with the guy with the big sword. This is how <laughs> this is how shit my memory is for <laughs> these kind of things. Um yeah, I think their name is Haku. And I actually can't even remember if they're male or female now. I think they might have been male, but the whole point was that they looked really feminine, but that's also oh, like most yeah, yeah, anime yeah. characters. So like, pff, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but it was like a whole, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know Shang now. Because I watched, I watched Naruto pretty recently and I feel like, okay. yeah, he he was like into him, but then realized that there was not. Oh, they did the whole like, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. sigh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Narta is a whole other basket of of issues, but um, I think yeah. So that's true. I mean, hey, you were a kid, you know, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure if I watch that show now, I mean, I remember some of the things that made me even kind of go like, oh, actually, I don't know if I want to watch this anymore. Literally, like a year later, I, yeah. I realized how like sexist it was mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and was just like, oh, I don't like this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm sure if I watched it again now, I'd notice like even more <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah. um yeah so i mean so anime is is interesting in its own self but it's very like culturally tied but did you also uh and remind me i'm sorry did you also digest like western comics as well like yeah yeah that was yeah yeah, i was probably more into actually that's a lie i was like super into manga and anime for like a little while Mm -hmm. and then as i kind of started to feel like a lot of the shows I was watching all treated women very similarly and very poorly. I kind of, and I think that might've been when Justice League Unlimited was actually airing maybe. And I kind of like veered over to that and, you know, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited and Western comics are also like deeply sexist (laughs) in many, many ways, but they didn't do the kind of as overt, like the nosebleed kind of stuff. And just (laughs) like, you know, in in the Justice League cartoon, like Wonder Woman and Hawkgirl are like cool, distinct characters with their own story arcs that revolve around them as people. Mm, and they, yeah. they're not just like there to kind of be side characters right. to the male heroes and be constantly sexualized in exactly the same way. I did actually rewatch Justice League and Unlimited again recently. I was like, 
showing them to my partner who'd never seen them before. And as we watched through them, I was kind of like, oh, oh, oh. Like every episode, there's like a, oh, did you have to just throw in that sexism? Yeah. Because you're doing so well until that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, yeah. Uh, and it's everywhere. It's not mm. only in Japanese media. It's not only in Western media. Right. But yeah, I think I just sort of, maybe I just like really got into that show and kind of then uh, started to read more like Western comics around the same time and then Transformers and stuff like that. Um, another franchise that has its own fraught history with women. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you just yeah. can't win, can you? You know, it's, <laughs> sometimes it's, it's tough. It's yeah. I, I have two daughters and I constantly worry about that specific thing. Mm. So yeah, um, for sure. I, so I'm curious. So, this is kind of a, this is going to be a long uh, question or mm-hmm. long, we'll go through a process, but essentially you've talked a lot about uh, twice now on Asians represent about being mixed race. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which of course has its own identity and, and its own identity issues when it comes to society. Um, so taking that in mind and we can get into that too, by all means, but like keeping that in mind, like, did you, when do you feel like you started to notice you weren't represented very often in media? And like, what specifically did you feel represented by when you started to like look mm-hmm. at that? Okay. So yeah, I don't know if I can like pinpoint a succinct, like yeah. aha moment, mostly because I feel like I noticed the lack of representation for girls as a girl, maybe first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also tied into the fact that um, my own sort of like upbringing with my mixed race heritage was like very weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's not actually that unusual because I know that there are a lot of probably mixed race people who are sort of raised like without much connection to like one or some mm-hmm. sides of their heritage. Yeah. Um, and that was very much my experience was that like when I was really, really young, I was told we were Spanish. And then when I was a little bit older, they were like, oh, and, and we're Spanish and then dad's family is Jewish. And then it wasn't until I was a little bit older that my mom would talk about how her dad was an immigrant from Pakistan. Mm. And my dad would mention how his father was Jewish, yes, but he was specifically Sephardic Jewish from Morocco. And these other sort of more complex elements of the family's background became like known to me. Yeah. Um, and part of that was, you know, there were some family things. I never had any contact with my mum's dad for yeah. reasons. Yeah. Um, and reasons that I think are valid, but it mm. did, unfortunately. And she's said this to me, like, recently when we've been, now that we're able to talk about sort of our, like, mixed race heritage and the Asian side of our heritage more, and it doesn't feel like it's something that's trying that she's trying to hide. Yeah. Uh, or hide from, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, like, you know, I had my reasons and they were good reasons, but I, but I'm sorry that that meant that you and your brother grew up not really knowing about this stuff. Like you don't yeah. know anything about, you didn't know anything about Islam or Pakistan or Syria other than what you were told in the media, which was always horrible. Yeah. You know, um, sure. and that. I can't even really like fully pinpoint that because it just, it happened very slowly over a number of years, like the eking out of mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. Um, but I know that we've been able to have these much more open 
conversations about it much more within the past sort of like three to four years, maybe, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, I'm 30. So that took a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do remember like, um, so one of my favorite games when I was growing up and still one of my favorite games like ever was Final Fantasy VI. Mm-hmm. And I remember like the character Terra, the arguably the protagonist of that game. Um, firstly being like, oh cool, the main character of this game is a woman, is a mm-hmm. girl. Uh, and she's really cool and she's got cool green hair and she does magic. Yeah. Um and then Terra has this sort of what I now know is is a very typical sort of like fantasy and sci-fi uh allegory for being mixed race, which is that she's essentially a half-human hybrid trope. Mm. Um but not really understanding that kind of stuff when you're a kid, I, yeah. I kind of latched onto that character specifically and really like really loved her. Yeah. Um, and, and it's one of those games I replay every few years and every time I replay it, I feel like I connect with it more and more, even mm-hmm. though I'm, I definitely am critical of how often that sort of half human hybrid trope is used more than actually representing a mixed race person yeah. in media. But yeah, it, so I guess it's almost like I kind of had this like instinctual draw to that character. And then the more times I would replay the game as I got older, knowing a little bit more every time about like my own family's background and stuff, um, it would feel like I would kind of uh, almost like dig up a new layer of meaning in Mm -hmm. the character for me um, and just kind of like love the game even more. Also because it's one of those games where, you know, you play it when you're a kid and you're like, this game is cool. And then you play it when you're an adult and you're like, wow, this game is like really good. (laughs) Like (laughs) the characters and the story and everything. Yeah. We can kind of appreciate more of it. Yeah, yeah. And I know that by the time I was at uni, which I think is a very common experience for people, you know, you move away to go to uni, you go to a completely new place. It was the first time I'd lived outside of London. And also, honestly, actually the first time, because obviously you grew up in London in a pretty cult, like culturally, ethnically diverse area. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't necessarily used to feeling like I completely stood out because of being mixed race or a person of color. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that a lot of other people do. You know, obviously, I'm not saying London is not racist or that there aren't <laughs> there aren't issues with that yeah. in London, but you walk down the street and you see a lot of people who look a lot of different ways and mm. it's just like that's just what you see here. Yeah. Um and then going to uni in Cardiff, which is much more white, um and specifically going to a drama school which was very white. Mm-hmm. I was one of two people in my year group for design who weren't white and Mm. both of us were mixed race yeah um so suddenly i was thrown into this space where i did feel like i stood out and maybe didn't fit in or uh because stuff like that because of uh my race Mm -hmm. um and i think that was when i then started to sort of examine what that meant to me more because i was sort of forced to because people would make jokes and i'd be like Okay, but that doesn't feel great for me. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And and you you know you start doing the thing of like, well, if I turn it into a joke first, then they don't get to do it. Mm-hmm. Which I know a lot of people use as a defense mechanism, and I was kind of stuck doing that for a while, and then I had to like dig myself out of it because I yeah. realized how damaging it actually was. Um, but yeah, it definitely. And then also on top of that, I'm studying theater design, so we're literally being taught to like think critically about and create art and media Mm -hmm. so it all ended up 
tying in and and that was when I became much more sort of like uh educated uh, educated myself on topics like feminism and intersectional feminism and race and stuff like that yeah that's awesome thank you for sharing that yeah it's uh it is it is fascinating to see like and to go from a place that is diverse like you said like even though yes it does have its own issues and stuff like it, it is a different thing to be in one place where it's like yeah these things happen but everybody's like me so most people are at the very least quiet about it right or just like not like making a big show of being racist they're just gonna like mm-hmm. it'll be mostly uh, microaggressions to go into a place where it's like no you stand out now and yeah. uh <laughs> yeah and now you have to kind of deal with this head on um mm-hmm. it is also interesting too like because like i said i had to deal with it from an early age to you know to hear the experience of when people have to deal with it at an older age and like you at that point your brain's kind of like more it functions better um for sure but you also are in this kind of culture shock as well yeah and i definitely like also kind of took that you know the things i taught myself the things i learned by experience or by you know reading and research or whatever mm-hmm. while i was there into those topics and like then kind of when i moved back to london did almost like rethink my experiences in london because yeah. like you say when you when you're a person of color who grows up somewhere very diverse it's more likely that the type of racism you'll encounter might be more covert mm-hmm. racism and it did make me rethink some of those experiences and things like that and go like oh no i did experience it it's just that i was too young to be able to pick apart something that is as subtle as a microaggression yeah necessarily um and because you know when you get barraged with microaggressions you notice it but when you're somewhere <laughs> that's like a baseline level of diverse mm-hmm. it doesn't happen as frequently or something like that and so you, you just kind of don't maybe think about it as much yeah. and then it also made me rethink stuff like um i think me also thinking about it made me made maybe like my parents think about it in a different way as well yeah. um and and therefore enabled us to have those conversations so it ended up sort of both of us sort of contributed to everybody coming around to being able to discuss like you know the ways in which we are different from everyone around us even there are even if there are other people of color living in this neighborhood or whatever like our family being mixed in the way that it is is also different from them in some ways as well so like there's so many layers (laughs) yeah for sure yeah it's i mean it, it is really um it is really fascinating but i think like you know thinking about it critically um obviously and and being able to have like discussions that like you and I have had separately right uh i mean i think that those those can really help not only us but other people who are kind of coming into that phase of of their life where they're like looking at it and going hmm maybe this is interesting i mean mm-hmm. today like so like for me the discovery of myself being um autistic has been like a new thing mm-hmm. and i'm constantly every day i'm like oh shit that's probably a contributing factor to this very yeah, specific thing that's you, been happening to me for a long time yeah yeah, yeah. it definitely makes it, you look back and go like it resonates with like multiple maybe things you struggled with or whatever mm-hmm. like back throughout your life um yeah. which definitely happened to me when when i finally convinced everyone around me to give me uh, an assessment for dyslexia and dyscalculia and i was like i told you i yeah. told you 
<laughs> but then you think you, you find out what the traits of that neurodivergence are and you go like, and that's why I was like this when I was this age. And that's why I was like this when I was that age. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Cause I think it's so important. Like even though it doesn't change who you are, it helps you identify a little bit better and understand. Um, and I think like, that's one of the hardest parts is like the confusion, right? Like, and similarly like the confusion of, of, being mixed race and dealing with that uh, identity, like, cause I am also mixed race. Like, so I think the, anytime you can have, for me, at least anytime I can have like a specific label to apply something to, even if it doesn't cover everything, like once I can, like, here's an answer, I can move forward now. I think that is so beneficial, um, to yeah. just like understand instead of like trying to figure out what it is or go to doctors who, uh, because of your identity are going to, uh, misdiagnose you or, um, not take you seriously. Yeah. Oh, I know and, about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, those things like to finally have those kind of answers, I think is so, uh, helpful just for our mental health for sure. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Um, so, you know, all of this nerd stuff is going on in your life. When did you get introduced to TTRPGs then? So I, I remember playing like one single game of D and D when I was like 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I did not enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, one of the people we were playing with was like an older girl from our school was very like weirdly gatekeepy about it and Mm. and and you know she was older than some of us and you know me and my friend who were like 12 were we were kids we wanted to do goofy kid shit yeah and she didn't like it so that didn't go well and then i was like well i guess maybe that's not something i want to do again kind of thing yeah um and yeah i i did kind of I have like numerous false starts with it, but just often found it to be, again, that kind of thing where it, for whatever reason, it felt like, oh, this maybe isn't the kind of thing that I want to do again, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of sexism. There's a lot of racism as well. Mm. Um, you know, as we talk about an Asian representative all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, duh. Wow. New, new news to everyone. Um, <laughs> but and I did, I did end up playing a very short lived like D and D campaign that became a dungeon world campaign. And we then started playing a scum and villainy campaign with my friends mm. back in like 2016, 2017. But it was kind of a situation where like some people wanted to like get into it and role play and stuff. And some people were just sort of there to hang out and drink and smoke with their friends. And, oh, I guess there's a D and D game happening. Yeah. So it wasn't, not everyone was sort of on the same page. So that meant it naturally just kind of fizzled out. Um, and then it was in uh, 2019 where I actually started playing uh, a D&D game with some of my friends from a convention that I used to run uh, or be one of the organizers of. And I had been sort of, I think the previous year at an MCM, I'd kind of, a couple of my friends who I was there to see had uh, were like super into Critical Role at the time. Yeah, and I didn't really know anything about it. I was wandering around, going like, "What are all these fucking people cosplaying from? Is this some Dragon Age shit?" I don't know. <laughs> like, I was just like, I, "There's all these funky blue and green people." Yeah, um, and I sort of hung out with them, and they gave me the spiel about Critical Role. <laughs> and you know, as you probably know, I now have a not so hot opinion of Critical Role yeah. for numerous reasons that we can get into later. Yeah. Um, but I did, I, I watched it, um, and it kind of became something I watched in the background while I did other things, you know, I'm at the gym or I'm painting or I'm 
drawing or working on cosplay, it's very easy to just like stick that on for like 10 hours while you're yeah, doing something sure. else. Yeah. Um, and so like very rapidly caught up with it just because of that. I think I actually might have taken in about a third of the information that was being said, yeah. Yeah. but you know, um, and then yeah, played like, uh, played like a one shot with a cosplay friend group. And then um, I knew that a friend of mine, from that Transformers convention, like he played a lot of TTRPGs. So I, mm-hmm. I think, I can't remember whose idea it was, but we all just kind of were like, it would be cool to try out like a D&D campaign together. Um, and that is a game that I still play. Like it's still going on. Um, we only get to play like once a month now because of everybody's schedules, but we make yeah. sure we still play. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that, that was like a fun introduction to it. Um, and then, you know, you... Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just you know go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast. Subscribe. Uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. <laughs> I I still knew that the there were like issues to do with like race and gender and and stuff in the game, um, but I was playing with friends who tried to like mitigate a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, and uh yeah and then the way i kind of got into the community uh side of it is sadly kind of fraught uh because <laughs> basically a bunch of like then friends i knew through cosplay um who had like a youtube channel where they made cosplay content decided they wanted to kind of shift the avenue of their content and decided they wanted to do like a dnd actual play okay. and they asked me to be in it um and at first it was like great like a lot of fun and um and i found again it's that next level up of like oh it's like a home game and some people are slightly more into rping than others and then when we're doing when you're doing something that's filmed there's kind of an expectation that like stuff to do with the storytelling the backstories the rp is going to be more heightened yeah um and and you know also i knew so little about D when i started doing this so i started you know filming being filmed playing D when i was very bad at the game and did not know anything <laughs> so yeah a, gr- a group of relatively inexperienced D players <laughs> making an actual play together um mm. which is you know fine in and of itself but the unfortunate side of it was that i started to notice issues cropping up for me personally to do with things like race mm. and representation yeah um and at first they were like small things 
And then I would bring it up and it would be kind of swept away or ignored, uh, sometimes taken on board, but more often than not kind of banded away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it ended up kind of building up and up and up to the point where it, it felt like the things that were being said and done were like much more egregious yeah. and I wasn't being listened to. Um, and some other negative stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, and eventually I just decided I had to leave because it got really, really bad. Yeah. Um, and that's both on like a, you know, behind the scenes, the way people were being treated, myself included, but also like the way things were going in terms of how we were playing the game and presenting the story. There were things I want, I, there were things I wasn't happy with sort of putting my name and my face to. Yeah. Um, so like, that's unfortunate because that, that does mean that whenever I, whenever someone goes, Oh, how did you get into TTRPGs? I have to go like, well, there was a racism. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but that, Kind of because we started doing that in 2019 in the summer, um, and I ended up leaving. I ended up you know, officially leaving in January 2021, but I had actually not been doing anything to do with it for around six plus months before that. Yeah. Um, so, in 2020, when I kind of went like enough is enough, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore, and and like had tried to like address the problems and and had like one last ditch effort, and it just became very clear that it couldn't happen basically um and i was like i don't feel comfortable to go back so i'm splitting um it also happened that you know through the first part of the pandemic um i had been getting into streaming with other people um Mm -hmm. doing some like blades in the dark streams and invited onto a DD stream as a initially as just a guest and then they asked me to stay on like as a permanent player for the rest of the series and then for the next series as well. Um, And all of this was through networking that I had done for (laughs) the other show Um, and, you know, making connections with people, following certain people on Twitter, becoming mutuals with them, them inviting me to like in-person networking events, you know, before proper Mm -hmm. pandemic hit, we knew (laughs) not to be doing that. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and yeah, so like that, that stuff I had done and my sort of foray into like, okay, so if we're going to be doing this, I feel like I should know something about this space. Um, and, and noticing on top of that, like, oh, there are actually um, people of color and women and queer people in this space talking about the issues with it while still mm-hmm. engaging with the various games that have those issues. And that was something that interested me. And so, yeah, so I was involved in Asians represent and uh, these other sort of uh, TTRPG streams which meant that when all of that stuff with the previous show fell apart and I felt it, there was a lot of emotional fallout, like for me, yeah. Um, it, it, if I hadn't already made those connections with people like Daniel Kwan and mm-hmm. the people I was streaming with and stuff like that, I might have just been like, well, this is like another example of how this space is not for me. And I should just like, not even try yeah. and left. Um, but because I had seen that there were other people of color having these really interesting discussions and really engaging discussions while also like, you know, doing published work and stuff Mm -hmm. like that in the space, I, I, it meant that I didn't just feel like I had to kind of just leave and forget about it. And I realized that I did really, really enjoy it. It was just, I really enjoyed it when I wasn't kind of being treated badly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I was still able to like, yeah, really feel like I'd found something I enjoyed. Um, and I know that a lot of P- 
people of color and women, uh, anyone of any sort of marginalized identity, I feel like everyone sort of has a horror story to do with how they got, either got into TTRPGs or at some point when playing TTRPGs, you know, yeah. some game that you just, you showed up and you were like, oh God. <laughs> uh, and yeah. um, so I, I don't think it's like that uncommon, but it did. It, at the time I felt very just like, oh God, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think about that a lot. Like people's first impressions into into gaming and uh and into like the ttrpg space um because so for me like i stayed off twitter my entire life up until i made this podcast and i i went about it like you just kind of like look for like the tags right and like follow like the big name people and stuff like that and then kind Mm -hmm. of people just show up but yeah there was a lot of people that i think that i feel like I met early on or like um, ways that people engaged with the TTRPG space when I joined at that time where I'm just like, now I'm like, no, I'm, I don't agree with this practice or these people or whatever. Um, and have since like cleaned up a lot of like who I followed, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because it's just like, you just don't know. And, yeah. and then, you know, how, as how time goes know? on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, until like if it's not something where you're like seeing them say anything overt and it's right. more to do with stuff that happens like covertly again yes. even more how are you supposed to know <laughs> yeah you know? exactly and yeah and there's been so many times in this past year where people have like you know not like uh, some of them big people some of them very lar- uh mm-hmm. big uh names uh but a lot yep. of other people who are just like <laughs> yeah a lot of other people who are just like you know regular people but like maybe have like three or Six thousand followers or whatever, and you like find out like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is actually just a horrible person who has learned how to work Twitter and uh, yeah, is actually very manipulative. And so, yeah, it's very tough. Like I think now I'm, I try to do a lot better about like looking at who people are. But like I said, first impressions of the space, it's it's hard. Like if you if you get that wrong, that wrong impression or that that bad batch of first people then it really could ruin how you look at these games yeah or how you look at the space yeah 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 and i think another factor in you know the issues that well or like why why there was no one to warn necessarily was because mm-hmm. these were people who were from the cosplay world like me yeah. coming into the ttrpg world almost fresh or there were yeah. a couple uh, like one person who was more already enmeshed in in ttrpg stuff yeah. But, um, but you know, how was I supposed to know that sitting around a table with those people would lead to that sort of treatment? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm assuming <laughs> that like this was at a time too, when there wasn't really like a lot of discussion about safety tools and stuff like that as well. Yeah. That's another thing looking back. Um, like I didn't know that safety tools were a thing. And I actually yeah. remember the first streamed campaign where we use safe, where safety tools were used. It was with a you know a different group, and mm-hmm. I I was kind of set, we had like a whole session zero where we went over like lines and veils mm-hmm. and like themes we wanted to explore in the narrative of the story we were telling, the characters we were building, and and what sort of stories we wanted to tell to make sure we weren't you know stepping on anyone else's toes. And I was just like, this is amazing. Is this a thing yeah. that people do? And they were like, is it? Yes. This is how it's <laughs> supposed to be. Yeah. I was like, oh my god. Um, but yeah, like we never had proper safety tools in place. I remember that yeah. being a thing. And that was why probably multiple times I'd be like, there's a thing that happened last session that I 
felt uncomfortable about and I want to talk about it and people would react like, oh, no, 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 you're overreacting yeah, kind of thing. Because having to bring it up ad hoc every time it happens is a different feeling from if there's already a structure in place. Yeah. Um, both for the person who has to like come forward and be vulnerable and for the people who are essentially being criticized. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean I'm excusing the behavior, but like I can, I, I can see why you might get defensive if that, and, and as well as that, this is people who I noticed this a lot with, you know, white queer people, um, that thing of like, well, we're queer. So how could we possibly do anything offensive to a marginalized person or community? Yeah. We understand. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, actually. Yeah. 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 We had a, in a discord server, I'm in, we had a whole discussion about that very topic of just like, like, oh yeah, like we support diversity. Like, look, we're all queer people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you're all white queer people. So mm -hmm. like, yes, have queer people on your show, but also <laughs> have other people <laughs> on your show that aren't just white people. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, and it's, yeah. I, I mean, I think like to any degree, right? Like me being black doesn't excuse me from using Orientalist tropes either, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, or being homophobic, um, mm -hmm. you have to check yourself. Even if you are marginalized, you really have to like, you still have to think critically about stuff and you still have to like open your mind to the idea that there are things you have been taught in your life that are not good. Um, yeah, yeah. You not do anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's that analogy of like, everyone's breathing the toxic air. Even if you're aware that you're breathing the toxic air, you're still breathing it. So <laughs> yeah. you still have to like undo a lot of things that were taught to you subconsciously mm -hmm. over, over the course of your life. And like, yeah. and then even more so like the whole thing of intersectionality and thinking about, you know, stuff like, you know, just as, on the most simple basis of like, just because something is a women's issue doesn't mean it's only an issue for white women or doesn't mean that an issue right. that affects specifically say black women or Asian women isn't a women's issue as well. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of, parceling off often means that like people of color and disabled people get left behind in particular, yeah. I think, and trans people probably as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and like, yeah, there's, you know, you brought up the example of like a black person can still uh, like engage in Orientalism. Mm -hmm. Like that's another example of how like we all have to kind of check ourselves and, and try to like become educated and understand these things. Like we talked about that on, Asians represent not specifically that example, but talking about like Japanese RPGs and their mm -hmm. Orientalism towards like Swana and South Asian people. Yeah. Um, in particular through like both stories and character tropes, but also like visual design costume and things mm -hmm. like that. And like literally, you know, the other day it came up again with uh, Genshin Impact having yeah. this, like, I don't, I don't play Genshin Impact. I don't know jack shit about it. But I, what I understand from looking at what the discussion was, was that like there's some new area or group of characters that was introduced that's based heavily on like Swana, Swana in big air quotations yeah, tropes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's the Orientalist belly dancer costume that's in every JRPG and is in a lot of Western media because you know the Europeans were the ones who created it. It was first created for like. European theater, like mm -hmm. stage productions, operas and vaudeville and stuff like that was where it was first used. And then it was taken back to those yeah. countries, uh, in like North Africa and, and West Asia. 
and and then it became expected because that was what the white tourists expected. But then because it's so solidified in our media, other people of color utilize it as well. Yeah. Um, and so you get, you know, Japanese RPGs, RPGs by other Asian people utilizing these Orientalist tropes. Um, and, you know, the thing people often like to say is like, well, it's just a costume or, well, it's just this or just that. And it's like, you're being so reductive because we're talking about how this is like, we're using this as an example to talk mm. about how this racism is like perpetuated and how it can even seep into like the thought processes, the creative thought processes of other people of color. And mm. it is important to watch out for and to be yeah. aware of. Yeah. But you know, media literacy is in the toilet. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah, for sure. Not to get into a fight with the star Wars fandom. Cause I really don't care, oh but God. like, um, yeah. we were, I was talking to some friends about the different, like, species from star wars mm -hmm. and some of them are just like you're basically a human but you have green skin or pink skin or whatever yeah. um, and then they'll have like a couple extra things like attached but the lore around those things are usually like not non-existent unless it like has something to do with perhaps like why a specific biological trait happens right so one yeah. of them is probably forgetting that like misremembering the name but it's like miri allen or something like that and they have like greenish yellow skin um and the two characters that you see in the clone war show uh, are both female and they both have headdresses on yeah. and so i was like well why do they wear them right like certainly there's a reason for this um yeah. there's not uh it's just like no we just wanted um like vaguely muslim iconography to to fit in here um but there's nothing in like the lore that says like there's a reason why they have their hair co covered and so it's like but why but why but why did we do this <laughs> yeah like, just and star looked, wars... looked nice like i don't understand mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and then it's also the layer of like star wars as a whole takes a lot from various asian influences yeah, in particular the whole, you know i don't think i'm saying anything new by saying that the the, a lot of the visual aspects of the movies are very inspired by like Kurosawa and Japanese costume yeah. and cinema. Um, and also a lot of the sort of the like philosophical aspects of the Jedi and stuff are very yeah. clearly based on a lot of like Eastern philosophy kind of thing. Obviously like, I'm not saying it's like a good accurate representation. <laughs> like yeah. this is part of the problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's worth examining where those things come from. Firstly, because it's interesting to understand like, where an idea and a concept was born out of. Mm -hmm. um, and then secondly, to examine our biases and the messages that we're sending with the media that's being creative, created or consumed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, because you have a distinctly um, unique experience in this and in, in like one being a part of the Swana community and also like being a costume designer, like when you look at something like that, like let's say somebody wanted you to design a costume would and somebody was like yeah but we want them to have a headdress on all of the women characters would you like you know i don't know how this works but would would that be something where you go like well why like what's culturally going on yeah. here i i have definitely had <laughs> times where i've i've had to like you know very carefully because mm -hmm. your position as a designer is a little more precarious than the position of the director right. unfortunately yeah um but you know ask questions like okay, well, we're making a film about a female warrior and you are asking me to create her leather armor that shows her midriff. Why? 
Why yeah. do you want her to wear that? I And then saying, like, I would rather not sexualize her. I would rather make her actually look like a warrior, for example. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you end up having to, like, meet on a middle ground, but at least you're not having them literally wear a bikini or yeah. literally wear something just overtly racist or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's always worth examining. And that's literally your job as a designer is to, like, when you're designing a, a costume, you are like deciding how that person says who they are to the world outwardly yeah because that is what clothing is <laughs> yeah, right. and, yeah. and you know like in the real world maybe less so unless you're like someone who's very into expressing themselves through fashion for whatever mm-hmm. reason um but certainly in a piece of media that is like created and constructed everything is usually there for a reason yeah. And and everything has the ability to send a message in some way. So yeah, I'm I'm I always want to be asking questions about like, okay, what is this gonna say? Or like watching out for any maybe like unintended messages that might be carried through with something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is it is I mean it's I don't know that actually is a pretty good segue if you want to talk about it, because I know like this is a whole other thing, but like (laughs) speaking of people taking cultural appropriation uh, to a whole new level, um, critical role. Yeah. um, yeah. (laughs) So I've, I've briefly talked about this when it happened and it was one, like, I, I'll just say, I don't watch critical role anymore. I, I, find that I personally am more interested in listening to stories created by POCs now. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that I like, I listen to a ton of content and I would say like 90, 95% of it is, is created by mostly POC people. Um, cool. And yeah. And so I'm like one, like I don't have time to listen to a three, four hour show. Um, to like i've i just don't i'm not interested in this specific story anymore and then and then they made the trailer uh yeah (laughs) yeah. Yeah. so yeah yeah. i mean (laughs) we don't have to get into it if you don't want to by any means but you know like yeah i'm fine to talk about it now (laughs) yeah yeah. um so yeah i'll also say that like i had already been sort of not calling out because i don't think it was that sort of flippant it was more like discussing the issues with the whole concept of the third campaign like before uh before the harassment happened um and also like yeah i'd kind of just sort of i'd watched critical role for a while and then just kind of fell off it mostly around the start of the pandemic Mm -hmm. i think partly because of what i was going through with like the the dnd campaign or the dnd show i was part of and it just kind of felt kind of in my head, you know, when a piece of media is kind of attached to a situation or a group of people for you yeah. mentally, and you just kind of go like, ah, 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 no more. Yeah. Um, so I'd already just, I'd kind of fallen out of love with it a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't, you know, fully paying attention to what they were doing or anything, but I saw a thing about, uh, you know, the campaign being set in Marquette. And I was like, oh, Marquette, what's that? That sounds French, question mark. Yeah. And then I looked up what it was and I was like, oh no, that's, um, oh wow, okay. Because I hadn't watched the first campaign, so I didn't yeah. know, but I, or I tried to, I didn't find it that good. Um, <laughs> so I didn't really know anything about it. Um, and yeah, I saw some people who I know who are people of color, who are specifically Swana and South Asian who are into Critical Role talking about like the 
sort of pitfalls and stuff that they might fall into. And I was like, you know what? I think they just shouldn't be doing it, frankly. <laughs> like, I think they have no right <laughs> to yeah. do a campaign that's like all based somewhere that the population is coded as people of color or is literally people of color. Mm-hmm. And especially like, I find this difficult to like word specifically. So I hope it's going to come across the right way. I feel like they probably couldn't have gotten away with doing that with many other cultures. Yeah. Like Orientalism specifically towards the Swana region is such that like, there is still this sense that white people have of like ownership over those stories in a way that like, I feel like if they'd done, if they'd gone like, we're going to make like an African themed mm-hmm. campaign or an indigenous American themed campaign, people have been like, absolutely the fuck you no, are. Not. Yeah. Yeah. For like, sure. Off the bat, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but for someone, but for people on their level who have their level of quote unquote awareness that they supposedly mm-hmm. have, I don't think they would have ever thought they could get away with that. Yeah. Although it was appropriate for them to do that. Yeah. So then the question is like, okay, but it's okay for you to do it with, swana locations Mm -hmm. and cultures and characters um so that i felt was already something important to discuss in in huge part because they are like the biggest one of the biggest probably the biggest like thing in the space you know there there are people who engage with critical role who don't even play D &D. Mm um and like and then there are also people who get into playing D D and TTRPGs through watching Critical Role, myself yeah. included among them. Yeah. And and so the message that that sends, therefore, is that it's okay to do this. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, they're profiting from it. And mm-hmm. they are now in a position where they are making books for Wizards of the Coast. This is officially licensed stuff. Yeah. And the stuff that they make because of the size of their platform kind of becomes the ubiquitous embodiment of that concept. Right. So my worry in my head was like, okay, so what happens when Swana people want to make D&D content or TTRPG content that is based on our own cultures? We're mm-hmm. going to be accused of copying critical role. And I know yeah. I know people are going to say I'm being ridiculous, but it will happen. It will. Yeah, 100%, because yeah. people literally go like Stranger Things is copying critical role because they used Vecna and it's like Vecna is just a dude from D&D, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. please, come on. But that's how big it is and then also on top of that their fandom is very intense and yes. very parasocial, mm-hmm. which was what I found out when I decided to tweet about the introduction they made this intro video where they were like you know wandering around exploring the exotic location of their campaign in air quotes indiana jones nathan drake style in costumes that were very evocative of those pieces of media yes but also this very specific like victorian like Mm -hmm. colonial abroad kind of costume the pith helmets and the the specific kinds of jackets and stuff they were yeah. wearing. And then on top of that, like kefir scarves and stuff. And it was this kind of amalgamation of like various visual shorthands for like explorer garb, but a lot of which have their roots in colonialism from yeah. white people yeah. towards people of in a lot of places, but also very specifically the Swana and South Asian regions. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I felt like that was something that was worth pointing out, especially because it kind of, I am a costume designer and a cosplayer. <laughs> I know a lot about costume and fashion. Um, and then on top of that, I'm also a person who is mixed race, but mixed race, both Swana and South Asian. Yeah. So I felt like, you know, I'm, 
I maybe have like some authority to speak on this. Uh, according to certain people connected to Critical Role and the Critical Role fandom, no, I'm not. Uh, and I don't know if I even want to name them, but yeah, someone yeah. with a very big platform who is very connected to Critical Role basically quote tweeted me, insulting me, and mm-hmm. then opened up the floodgates for me to get harassed by his 180,000 plus yeah. followers for like days on end. Fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and you know i've been i've gotten shit online before i'd even gotten shit from talking about the issues with marquette more generally mm-hmm. before that yeah um and in fact i literally got a notification from someone saying something utterly inane on that post literally like today because sometimes people just find it again yeah. and just you know um so i and and you know i've i have experience with being I guess harassed for multiple days through like the cosplay community, you yeah. know, when you say that a cosplay contest shouldn't let someone who's black facing enter their contest and people just really don't like that for some reason. Um, <laughs> so I've experienced it before, but never on the level that it happened then. And it was actually like, I feel quite comfortable now to say it was quite traumatic Yeah, uh, and really affected the way I interacted with the TTRPG space for like a long, long time Yeah, afterwards. Um, and really made me just kind of, have like this this negative reaction of like wow people really just don't care like i i'm just asking you to engage with something like critically you know mm. and and i've literally said like these are my credentials this is like why i think i should be allowed to speak on this topic not that yeah. you need to have a degree in something to be allowed to speak on it necessarily but like you're literally talking to someone who knows what they're talking about and i'm not <laughs> yeah. being arrogant i'm just saying like this is literally an area where i know what i'm talking about yeah um and racism ableism all sorts of isms thrown my way for days on end because of it yeah it was horrible (laughs) it's it is horrible and like i it's it is so wild how defensive people get about stuff like that Mm. when it's like you can literally just say like oh shit yeah i'm wrong like i will open my eyes and like look at this differently from now on Mm -hmm. um and I mean, like, even like for myself, like I remember as a kid watching the first Indiana Jones and being like, this is kind of weird, right? That they're mm-hmm. like, he's, he's taken something from a temple and he's being chased by the indigenous culture there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy is the hero. <laughs> That's a little bit strange, but then, you know, you, but then also like you get fed a lot of that imagery. And so you kind of yeah. go through our lives, like just accepting it as like, yeah, oh yeah, this was- is the thing. Yeah. That was part of the thing I was trying to point out was literally being like like I never I never even called them racist. I mm-hmm. never said they are racist. I said yeah. these visual shorthands are entrenched in colonialism and racism. That's yeah. a very different thing. And the thing I was trying to point out was that the thing you just said of like this is the toxic air we all breathe. Yeah. Like I want you to understand why this is a visual shorthand for explorers. And that it stems from somewhere that has a negative association and like a traumatic history for a lot of people, specifically people of color. And in this case, specifically people from like the Swana and South Asian regions. Yeah. Um, And that is why when that is the, you know, the visual shorthand you reach to, to express, oh, we're explorers in a foreign land, which is its own thing. Cause it's like, that's how they're framing this campaign. Right. 
that yeah. the characters, most of them, from my understanding, are not actually from Marquette. They are all visitors. Yeah. So it is literally a group of outsiders exploring the foreign land that is a playground to them kind of thing. Yeah. And that was what they were expressing in their intro. Um, and so the visual shorthand they reach for is the Indiana Jones, Nathan Drake, Victorian mm. Explorer, shorthand, the Tarzan, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's the thing is that like, you know, in Tarzan, they, 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 they kind of, you know, that guy's the bad guy. <laughs> you <laughs> ever noticed how I did, I thought it was very funny when I was watching Miss Marvel, how, when they have the episode set in 1947 during the partition in the opening, you see, uh, Aisha, uh, Kamala's great grandmother mm-hmm. kill, um, kill a British, uh, soldier. And yeah. he's wearing he's wearing that outfit, and yeah. I was like, "Do you think the Critical Role fans were like, why is the villain wearing the Critical Role outfit?" Um, no, probably not. But that, that's it that being takes used. Self awareness. Yeah, it does takes a lot of self reflection. But that's yeah. it being used in like a correct context or a yeah. context where it says something that isn't uh, that isn't like washing over actual trauma because they are literally portraying that point in history and that person is a villain who is chasing one of the heroes Yeah, doing it, doing it and sending it as like, we are the heroes wearing these outfits sends a different, it sends a different message. And, and mm. that's the kind of thing I was trying to say basically is that like, can we examine this on the level of like, what message is this sending? And yeah. you know, for that, apparently I should die, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. that's so ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, I like, I'll say like for myself, um, like it has really opened my eyes. Like that whole conversation around around this specifically, I think, is kind of what sparked it. But like other multiple conversations of people that are talking about the same thing. And so, like, I have all of the um, Nathan Drake games, and I've only played part of the first one. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't really have an interest in like finishing <laughs> this because of that same thing. And like, I was recently watching Tarzan with my kids. And I like it was like so eye-opening. Like I've always known, like obviously that they were like colonial people, right? Yeah. Like uh, but like listening to the beginning, mind you, like Phil Collins, like as a general music soundtrack, like yeah. not the soundtrack out of the park. What, what a banger of a soundtrack that just had no right to be that much of a banger. <laughs> yeah. But what I found super gross and also interesting in the beginning, like as it's opening, right? Like for whatever reason, this ship's on fire. Was it mm-hmm. because uh, they're colonizers and people shot it down, or was it a lightning storm? I don't know. But Ooh, anyway, yeah. they make it. <laughs> they make it to. They make it to Africa. Uh, they make it on land, and the like. One of the first lines that Phil Collins says is a paradise untouched by man. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is oh, like wow. no, literally. There's people here. Yeah. Uh, we don't see them. You don't show and, them. That's yeah. You never see an African yeah. person in Tarzan. Yeah. It's all the gorillas. Yeah. Which is but, like kind of its own thing that's Yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm, it's a mm. whole it's a whole it's a whole problem. <laughs> but like literally there are people on this continent. And mm-hmm. so it just like it really harks back to that like um what is the name of that book? Is it uh the, the Lost Heart of Swell? Darkness? Oh, right. Yeah. Um you know like this whole like yeah. And I was like god, that's that's yeah. awful. Like that's such a horrible lyric to write and yeah. a horrible i mean just did the depictions of of the whole thing like so in and so yeah i'm not upset that i know this stuff now like i think it's 
actually very good. And I think it's like mm-hmm. great that I can teach my kids like, yeah, these are like, yes, this is entertainment, but like, these are also things that are an issue that we should really think about um, as we move forward. And mm-hmm. yeah, but it's, I just say like, there's, we can't do, we can't do wrong learning more stuff about this. And like, if, if you feel guilty about it, because like, maybe you came up this way, like, that's fine. Like feel guilty, mm-hmm. but also learn from it and do better. Like it's yeah, okay totally. to just fucking be better next time. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. It's like no one, there is no one who has not had to like unlearn something mm-hmm. that was like problematic or something they suddenly realized like, Oh wow. I can't believe I was just told this. Like it was normal growing up and I don't yeah. like this suddenly because I've come to a realization or I know more now. Yeah. Um, and that is fine. You know? Yeah. Um, even, you know, we talk about how, you know, women have to unlearn like internalized, internalized sexism and people of color have to unlearn internalized racism. Like it, it goes that deep, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and yeah, I think there's also just this, like that made me think of how in the TTRPG space specifically, I feel like a lot of the, both racism and then specifically Orientalism, it, it stems very much from that, that idea that like, you are the first civilized person to arrive in this place and explore it mm-hmm. which which stems literally from the way in which colonizers went around the world and were like oh there are people here but you know we've made up our excuses as to why they're not really people mm-hmm. and they're savages and we need to tame them and all that kind of language which is like extremely <laughs> extremely offensive but yeah. is still used in ttrpgs and that's why it's problematic when we describe orcs as brutal savages and and things yeah. like that and why a lot of the why it's problematic that when you do get things like oriental adventures and alcadine which are firstly problematic because of the name oriental adventures but like the yeah. framing of them is very much of like you the D player who we presume is white and american get to now explore this exotic foreign land yeah you now get to go there you are not necessarily like the the framing of them I, I remember thinking this over and over again when we were doing our like critical read of Alcadim on Asians represent and also when listening to like Daniel and Steve do the oriental adventures one was that like the framing of the book is assuming that you are an outsider that you are a tourist going mm-hmm. in to explore the exotic foreign land and you can certainly make a character who is from there but the tone of the book presumes that you are the outsider yeah um but also presumes that you are kind of better than for being the outsider and then it's interesting that when critical role does this marquette campaign that they seem to know that them playing a bunch of brown humans and elves and stuff would probably be bad so that a lot of them are playing characters who aren't from marquette and then i also so my information is coming secondhand but i also was told that like most of the characters who are from marquette are janassi and janassi are very heavily Swana coded, right. <laughs> which I think is interesting. So it feels like they have a level of awareness of what they're mm-hmm. doing, but then they've also just gone like, but it's totally cool for us to do it because we have a consultant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not the case. Yeah. I, yeah, 100%. I, um, I, I find it very interesting. And like, I, I talk about this book a lot uh, because it's mm-hmm. such an important book to me, but it's like, it's a recent uh, campaign setting book. Uh, for Pathfinder 2E called the Moenga Expanse. And it's okay. set in like the, a part of the country that is sort of fantasy Africa. And it was written all by uh, POCs, black people. Um, and 
there's like in the beginning of the book, there's this part that says, it's like a box text and says exciting, not exotic. And it frames how you as the player who is not from a place like this should Mm -hmm. interact with this world. And it's very much about like, yeah. And so like, and inside of it, like there's like, yeah, there's these places and they, they protect the artifacts that come from the country. So if you are a person who's like, oh, I want to go like search out artifacts, like that is not okay. And you will be pursued for this. And like, um, so it's like very much frames it around appreciating what's here and enjoying this as a very rich place that doesn't need you to change it or to fucking go on your mission trip or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just like, this is how you can do it. And as long as you can, remain respectful in this concept like then you'll really enjoy this thing um and the people Mm -hmm. around you will enjoy it too and so yeah i love playing in this setting and um but i think that's when we talk about like how can we do this i think this is the way right like yeah you don't you don't need to like appropriate it or bring in like racist tropes or when people tell you that like you've brought in racist tropes like maybe you should like apologize and (laughs) think about how you could just like (laughs) make it better but yeah, yeah. That, i've not i'm not experienced with pathfinder i haven't played it uh the most i know about it is that my boyfriend talks about it a lot and how complex it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> or it's how really like wild that. character builds you can yes, make or something that like true. that yes yeah um so yeah i'm like vaguely aware of the mwangi expense mm-hmm. um but that sounds really cool i think if i ever if i ever did play pathfinder i'd probably want to play a campaign set in that campaign setting because that sounds really cool yeah especially yeah. the framing of like you don't just go around killing people and taking their shit, which mm-hmm. is like another issue that D&D has. And I'm sure Pathfinder as well. And a lot of TTRPGs that yeah. are, because they all stem from like a very singular source mm-hmm. and, 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 and like the same kind of inspirations ultimately yeah. that like, but I can't speak to Pathfinder. So I'll just speak to D&D. Yeah. Is that like, in, I guess like inherently the, the gameplay loop of these games is colonialist. Mm-hmm. In the the gameplay loop is like you go somewhere, you kill everyone there, you take all the shit that's left behind, and then you fuck off and you do it all over again somewhere else. <laughs> and like yeah. you know, there are ways to make that not feel super duper gross. Mm-hmm. Um, like one way I like to do it is like one one of my favorite characters that I play in a long term campaign is someone who actually like grew up among people and then learned their trade as well of like. They they were pirates, not pirates, who like were hired to go and retrieve important artifacts or like arcane artifacts that had been stolen by rich people, essentially, mm-hmm. and take or bought away from somewhere where they were supposed to actually belong. Um, and so, playing a character like that means that the approach to go somewhere, kill everyone, take all their shit, suddenly becomes extremely different. Um, and also, firstly, I don't really like the the baseline assumption that you're just going to murder everyone in a dungeon in, in D&D yeah. as yeah. well, as well as that. But like, yeah. you know, instead of you delve into a dungeon and you take everything, it's like, okay, well, we want to do with something that's like a dungeon. So we're breaking into this rich fuck's house and mm. we're taking something from his collection that we know belongs to someone else. Yeah. And that is the dungeon instead of the exotic catacombs full of yeah. goblins or whatever it is. Um but but you are fighting against what the game kind of inherently wants you to do. And that's something you have to come up with yourself. It's not something that the game is going to tell you to do. So yeah. saying that in a campaign setting like Mwangi Expanse instantly kind of might make people kind of shift some gears in their head. 
yeah. you know, which I Hopefully, think is a really yeah. good thing. Yeah. I mean, all of like the supplementary stuff that they've added to, they've done like an adventure path in it that I'm playing in. That is absolutely incredible. Like we're, it's like a magic school, but like primarily what we do in the game is like help the community. Like we have to like, like, yeah. here's the thing that the community needs. Like that's your, that's your mission. Um, yeah you know, and, uh, and try to avoid fights when we can and stuff like that. So yeah, it's helped me a lot to like frame a lot of things when I ran my homebrewed game in it. Like there's times like, yeah, you see like creatures to the forest that are predators, but like, you know, you have the option now to hide or attack. Um, mm -hmm. or like we made it into like the port town and it's like, you see like some people like are very protective of what they have going in and out of their warehouses and they're not going to let you go just see it because you're walking by and you want to fucking find out. And then you break into it and it's like, yeah, it's like clothes and fruit and stuff. Like you're just being an asshole right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're not Link. You can't just walk into people's houses yeah. and smash the pots and steal their yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. And so it, I think like things like that like really help to frame also for your players to like let them know like, Look, there's we, there is a different way that we can look at this game and play it, and that can be culturally rich, and um and not just destroying everything. And yeah, mm -hmm. I I love that, uh, especially now that as I've learned a lot more about it. Yeah, and that's definitely something. You know, I didn't start playing D and D and immediately go, oh, the gameplay loop of this is inherently colonialist. <laughs> yeah. You know, it. It is something that I realized over time. And that doesn't mean I don't play D&D &D anymore. I still yeah. do. I play D&D, &D, I think, in I think a way where I try to be quite conscious of like the game's shortcomings and do as much as I can to mitigate yeah. the problematic aspects. Um, and I certainly pick to play with people who I believe will also do that. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, uh, and there are other games that, can that have different approaches to their gameplay mechanics and inherently want to tell different kinds of stories that you can also go to 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 actually experience something that is more free of those of that baggage and those issues yeah um you know i it's complicated because like yeah i enjoy playing dnd &D, but i'm also aware with like the numerous issues with it mm -hmm. um and, you know, for a time I didn't play any D&D. &D. I only played other games. I played a lot of Quest. I played a lot of Blades um, and stuff like that. And, like, found it very enjoyable and enriching to go to other TTRPGs and experience yeah. other systems. And I still play other systems. Like, I'm in a, like an Urban Shadows campaign at the moment and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but as well as that, like, D&D &D is still, it's the same thing with Critical Role. It's ubiquitous in the space. Yeah. So it's always worth having the conversations about, how to improve it, even if, even if its structure is such that I, I don't think they can ever like fully be rid of all the problems in every yeah. single way. Mm -hmm. um, but I still think it's worth it improving because also then it starts to shift people's minds over time and yeah. stuff like that. People's attitudes change towards it. And maybe you won't get as many people telling you that you're an ableist slur for thinking that it's worth talking about racism in D&D. &D. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, on a more positive note, I have really enjoyed this conversation. And oh, thank uh, you. yeah, I, I appreciate all your stories. Yeah, this has been so much fun. I am glad we got the chance to sit down and, and talk about this stuff. And um, yeah, I'm, you know, super excited. So where can people find you if you want to be found on the internet? Yeah, if you want to find more of what I do. 
I have a Twitter, an Instagram, and a YouTube channel. Um, all of them are under the name Evil Clever Dog. My mm-hmm. YouTube is, at the moment, dedicated to making like videos about cosplay and fabrication and crafting techniques and stuff like that. Um, I have done some like I, I did a D and D themed video where I made a mimic dice box. If that kind of thing interests folks, um, and as of recording this, I don't know when you're putting it out. But as of recording it, I am working on the last video for my um, Ares cosplay build yeah. uh, from the game Hades, which I just also, as of recording this, like put up the first like proper photos of that cosplay today. So go check it out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I am again as of, as of this being recorded, I'm a, I'm like two weeks away from I'm gonna study a master's degree in prosthetic effects, and I'm moving across the country to do it. And I don't know what I'm gonna do with the YouTube channel, and I'm probably not gonna be able to make any cosplay while I'm there because I'm gonna be super busy doing that kind of stuff. But you'll probably, if you follow me on Twitter and Instagram, be able to see me posting photos of like the cool stuff I'm gonna make on that course. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I'll figure out what I'm doing with the YouTube channel. I don't know. <laughs> question mark, question mark, yeah. question mark. I don't know. Maybe I'll make a video about racism in D&D and make everyone hate me forever. <laughs> uh, only the people you don't want to like you. Yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's my motto. But yeah, no, this has been, this has been so great. And um, yeah, this was so much fun. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's great to get to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show, and if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. Until next time.